Thank you. It's uh, really something to be back here. It's been a while that uh, it is uh, a place that has been very special in our hearts for a long, long time. And uh, as I often tell people that, that I know and love through the years, Pastor Ron is still my pastor. When I need, uh, when I need help, when I need prayer, I, I call him and, and, or text him, and he is... Uh, just, uh, he's my mentor, the person that has meant the most to me in my spiritual growth, and I'm just very thankful to be able to be back here with you today and, and share. I'll probably get a little, I might get a little emotional. I'm one of those guys that can tear up sometimes. I love one of my friends at home says, uh, he was speaking at his brother-in-law's funeral, and he said, I'm not ashamed to cry in public. I've done it many times. So if I get a little teary, I'll try not to. Sometimes just mentioning it keeps me uh, on pace, but... Uh, it is really cool to be back here with you, kind of an emotional thing, and uh, my wife wasn't able to make it today. My, our oldest daughter, who was going into sixth grade when we left here, uh, is leading worship at our church there on the island today. She's a worship leader down in Oregon at their church, but uh, she was home for the weekend and, and consented to step in and take my place. I'm not the pastor there anymore, but I still get to lead the music at the church we were at for so many years. And uh, I love doing that. But thank you, Josh, so much for leading here today. I loved uh, the songs. That last one has been a real precious one to me, too. Um, this morning, and uh, Andy and, and Paul back there, I may, I'm not too good at doing this stuff here, so uh, if you uh, might help me out. But uh, I'd, I'd like to start just with some of the most comforting words in, in Scripture that uh, I'm sure you are all... Um, aware of and perhaps have tapped into in your lives at different times. Uh, but Jesus, uh, Jesus said these wonderful words, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy, my burden is light, you will find rest for your souls. Rest is a wonderful word in Scripture. Um, it, it goes way back to the very beginning, doesn't it? God created the heavens and the earth in six days, and on the seventh day, the Bible tells us, he rested from all his labor. He was finished, and uh, there's another, another wonderful and important word in Scripture, finished. Uh, it was a perfect creation and then he, he commanded through, through scriptures his people to learn to rest as well, um, to take time to set aside the cares, the worries of life, the days, and uh, whatever it may be, because he also rested, and we should learn to, to rest. And so that's something I want us, uh, us to uh, ponder today, what it means to and I love these songs that we've sung today, too. It is a matter of, of contemplating and, and resting and assurance in the finished work of Jesus. So we're going to be thinking about that this morning. Eight years ago, I came up with a brilliant idea, at least to my mind it was brilliant. Uh, I decided on my uh, 62nd birthday, so you can do the calculations there, I just turned 70 this year. But I decided that I would um, uh, memorize a psalm each year 
I know memorizing scripture is kind of a difficult thing, you know, and some of you maybe are good at it, but I know for a lot of people I, I hear, I could never do that, memorize a Bible verse or a passage of scripture. And I said, well, if I give myself a whole year to memorize a psalm, maybe I can do that. So I started in my 62nd year memorizing Psalm 62. And then I, when I turned 63, I had accomplished that. So, oh, I'm going to memorize Psalm 63 this year. And I did that. And Psalm 64 the next year. And Psalm 65 the next year. And Psalm 66 and 67. And it was really funny because people would often say to me when they heard this, they'd say, what are you going to do when you come to Psalm 119? <laughs> and I said, that's not a problem. I'll be in heaven <laughs> by then. And it uh, should shouldn't be a problem at all. But when I turned 68, I found that Psalm 68 was really a long one, and it was a, a challenge. And actually, I, I gave up the job. And uh, don't be disappointed or judge me too harshly, um, unless you've tried it yourself. But um, that's the year I retired. I, uh, there was a number of things in our lives, uh, both in the church there, which was really going well, but... I, both my wife and I had experienced just uh, some stress, some, some uh, weariness, and uh, at that time I just felt it was, it was right and through some counsel uh, that it was a good thing to find somebody younger to take over and have some more energy to, to preach and manage and, and lead. Uh, but I'm just thankful that Village Missions allowed us to stay there at the church and help out, which has been a real wonderful privilege as well. But um, anyway, I got so far, but I want to tell you, for the past eight years, Psalm 62 has been, um, though I've memorized all of those and, and often go back over them in my mind in the middle of the night when I can't sleep, but Psalm 62 has been my prayer. It's been my, my meditation. It's been my, my pondering and studying for the past eight years. So hopefully I have some things to share with you this morning that We'll, we'll give you some insight into this precious uh, uh, writing, this song, this prayer of David, of King David. Uh, Psalm 62. I imagine um, David, uh, we know, was the, the songwriter, um, the sweet psalmist of Israel, and uh, Many of his psalms actually carry with them very specific details as to when he wrote that and why. And, and I, always, I always laugh, you know, I, I've written songs in my life. Many of you know I, I, I still play guitar and sing and, and uh, written a lot of songs, kids' songs and stuff like that. But I, I just imagine David, you know, saying to his people gathered around him, Hey, I wrote a song, you want to hear it? And, and some of the times it would almost seem like completely inappropriate. David should be doing something else than writing a song and singing it for I imagine some of the songs sitting around the campfire when he's running, you know, uh, from Saul when he was younger. And all these, you know, the guys that were in Israel were the discontented, the people that were running themselves from whatever tax liability or problems in their community. But... but so he's sitting around the campfire with a bunch of very crusty uh, outdoorsmen and says, hey guys, I got a song for you. I just wrote it. I don't know what kind of you know, instrument he... And, and interestingly enough, I thought about this a lot. I don't know the tune for 
lot of his songs, but I, I think the words are what really matter, aren't they? So anyway, uh, Psalm 62 was written, uh, and I'll, I'll tell you more about this as we go along, but it's written in a very difficult time in David's life. It's pretty well generally accepted that he wrote this when uh, his son Absalom was trying to kill him. It wasn't just, you know, like, oh, things are tough today. No, <laughs> things were bad. And uh, not only was his son, you know, trying to kill him, out to get him, take over the throne, but his most trusted advisors, many of them had turned against him. Uh, some of his closest friends. And, and honestly, he probably didn't know who to trust. He could look at a, a group of people there in the throne room of uh, the palace there in Jerusalem and look around and look in the eyes of people that were there waiting for him. What are you going to do, David? And, and he, he didn't know who was there to... Uh, betray him, to, to lie, to bring up false stories, or to turn him over, to tell uh, Absalom where, he'd hi, where he was going, or his plans. And so here David is uh, in the midst of tremendous stress. Perhaps the, the most difficult thing about the whole stress that he was under was knowing in the, in the depths of his heart that he had brought it on himself. The heartache, the anguish that, that David was experiencing, the death of one son already at the hands of another, now his, his next son trying to take his life, were, were all the result of his horrible sin. I often say, when I come to 2 Samuel chapter 11 every year, reading through the Bible, I, I just dread that chapter. When David um, you know, committed adultery and, then, and, and murder and then um, in, in being confronted, um, confessed his sin. It's a, it's a tragic picture, and his whole life from that point turned from, from success after success to failure, miserable failure after miserable failure. And so in this point in his life, certainly under stress and, and doubt and fears, but knowing that it was all a result of his, his uh, failures, knowing that God had forgiven him, but knowing still that, that there was consequences. Don't you hate that word, <laughs> consequences? Yeah. So anyway, David says to his guys, they're sitting there and he's looking around at the group and he goes, I don't know who I can trust here. There's still a few left, you know, that haven't gone off to Hebron with Absalom. Uh, they're, they're on their way back. We need to get out of here. But just a minute, I got a song for you. Can you imagine that? I got a song for you. And again, I don't know the tune, but let me tell it to you. My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. How long will you assault a man? Would all of you throw him down this leaning wall, this tottering fence? They fully intend to topple him from his lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. Selah. Let's think about that. Find rest, O oh my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. 
I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Low-born men are, are but a breath. The high-born are but a lie. If weighed in a balance, they are less than nothing. Together they are only a breath. Do not trust in extortion or take pride in stolen goods. When your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. One thing God has spoken. Two things have I heard. You, O God, are strong. You, O Lord, are loving. Surely you will reward each, each man according to what he has done. Let's pray. Oh, God, thank you for your word, written, sung, spoken so many years ago, and yet inspired by the same spirit who is here among us today. Thank you for these words of confidence, words of prayer, words of, of challenge and confrontation. Your word is alive and powerful it's for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so that your people might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so, again, pray, as has been prayed so many times here, that your word would accomplish your purpose in each of our lives today, that you'd speak again afresh uh, these wonderful truths to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. I have... And I don't want to, to me it's kind of amazing, but I've prayed that prayer for the last eight, eight years, hundreds of times. Hundreds of times. Often in the middle of the night when I can't sleep. And I'm getting to that place where, you know, in my life where sleep is not as easy to come by and aches and pains. And every time you roll over, you know, your shoulders wake you up and, and then you can't back to sleep. And I say, my soul finds rest in God alone. My soul needs rest more than my body does. I'd like to share with you a few things that I've learned from Psalm 62 this morning. And again, remind you that uh, the, the setting of its original writing is, is a, a tremendously difficult time, a, a terrible time in David's life, in the life of the nation. David is surrounded by the few that are left that haven't gone off and sided with his, his son Absalom, and he doesn't know who to trust. And in this, this song, he challenges those who are left to, to trust God with him, whatever comes. He challenges them to believe that God is going to work through some, some difficult times and show himself strong on behalf of those who put their trust in him. And so he begins with this wonderful statement of basically, this is where I'm at. This is where I stand. My soul finds rest in God alone. Not in the fact that I'm the king, not in the fact that maybe some of you here are on my side and taking my, my part, but no, my soul 
finds its rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. That is a wonderful and powerful statement to, to ponder. Um, if you're saved here today, if you know that God has rescued you from the penalty of your sin, know, know that it's he that did it. Remind yourself that it wasn't something you did. Uh, I just read this morning Psalm 14. There is no one who seeks God. But God is the one who seeks and saves the lost. God is the one who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Your salvation, as David said, my salvation, it came from him. He chose you. He chose to save you. He chose to rescue you. And not only from your sin, but for eternal joy. Your salvation came from him. And David said, my soul finds rest because my salvation came from him. It's not something I did. It's not something I even sought, but he brought it to me. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. You know, Jerusalem was called the, the fortress of Zion. It was a high and mighty hill. You remember when David first captured Jerusalem? It's an interesting mix of how that all happened historically for the Jews. But um, the Jebusites, that's called the Jebusite city. Jebus uh, means city. And Jerusalem, Salam means peace. It was called the Jebusite city. But when it became Jerusalem, it was the city of peace. But the Jebusites, when David came first as king, they looked over their high walls and they said, you will not get in here. You can't capture this. But they did. And they called it the Fortress of Zion. So here's David years later in tremendous stress. And you would think, well, yeah, you're in the city here. You've got the fortress. You're surrounded by the walls. David says, no. God is my rock. He is my fortress. This place here is uh, not impregnable. Not to lies, not to deceit, not to unfaithful counselors. We were, uh, years ago, we, we got the privilege of traveling to uh, Scotland and in Edinburgh, the, the big castle there um, had never been conquered by armies, but it, it had been conquered by spies and by deceit. David knew that no earthly fortress was proof against the lies and deceit and evil in the world. But his fortress was not a place of stone and brick and height. It was in God himself. My salvation, my honor depend on him. And then he says... <clears throat> I like, I like the next verses, and I don't know if you notice this, but there is sarcasm in Scripture, and I, I have to confess, I kind of like sarcasm. It's an interesting way to communicate. You say things that are tended to make people think in a, a slightly different way. And so he says about himself, you know, to, to this group of people that are listening to him, he says, 
And not knowing who's there to, to deceive him or to turn against him or to take his words back and, and uh, be against him. Um, but he says, how long will you assault a man? I'm just a guy. Would all of you, there's a little bit of a challenge. Is everybody here against me? Would all of you throw him down this leaning wall, this tottering fence? There's nothing here in me, David says, to, that's you know, strong. Would all of you throw him down this leaning wall, this tottering fence? They, speaking to those who are on their way to take over, they fully intend to topple him from his lofty throne. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. Selah, think about that. It's a challenge to those that are before him. Where are you at? And then he repeats, to himself. First one is a statement to those who are there. My soul finds rest. This is where I'm at. But then he reminds himself, find rest. Oh, my soul in God alone. My hope comes from him. One of my favorite sayings for the past 20-some years has been, we need to be reminded more often than we need to be instructed. How many times have we uh, forgot some of the most important truths of what it is to be a child of God? We've been instructed, but then we forget. That seems to be the human condition. We need to be reminded. And David reminds himself here, find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope my hope comes from him. That's both for him and for those that are listening. He alone, again, he says, is my rock and my fortress. I will not be shaken. <clears throat> and then he moves on. He says, verse 5 through 7, or... <clears throat> In verse 7, he says, my salvation and my honor, they depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Isn't that a wonderful statement? Have you ever been there? I'm sure you have. Pour out your hearts to him. What an expression of, uh, of a dependence of helplessness, of uh, emptiness. I can't picture that, that phrase actually being lived out without tears on your face before the throne of God. And, and don't take me wrong, but I hope you've been there. It's not a comfortable place. It's a good place. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. And then a little bit of a, a challenge, <laughs> which I think is, again, pretty humorous. Um, imagine again, there might be a, quite a different variety of, of people that are just still wondering which side they're going to take. And he says to them, you know, low-born men, they're but a breath. And those who are thinking that you know, maybe they're they got something. They're thinking, yeah, that's true. Uh, Low-born men are but a breath. And he says, the high-born, 
That's a lie. That's a lie. Taken together, weight on a balance are less than nothing. Together, if your trust is in a person, if you're looking for this guy or that guy, Absalom, uh, it's just a, you're, you're putting all of your eggs in the wrong basket, all your hope in the wrong place. Low-born men are but a breath. The high-born are just as insignificant when it comes to the need to put our hope in God. Nowhere else is strength and grace to be found. In that statement, I think David is saying to those with him, who are you going to put your trust in? Are you going to trust those of power and influence? Are you going to trust whatever you can manage yourself to, to, to get yourself through this very difficult time? Or in what will you trust? He says, do not trust in extortion. Take pride in stolen goods. In a time of turmoil in a country like that, there's all kinds of opportunities to increase your goods by siding with the right side, you know, and maybe there's some there amongst them who are thinking, how can I benefit in this difficult time? What, what's to my advantage? So some, don't trust in extortion or take pride in stolen goods. When your riches increase, riches increase don't, don't put your trust in them. And then he says to them, one thing God has spoken Two things have I heard. I think that's one of the fascinating things about Scripture is that the depth of it, don't you find that? One thing that, that God says and you, you ponder it and it opens up a world of, of color and truth and insight. One thing God has spoken, David says, but in that I have heard two things. And then he uses the, the two different, one of the, two of the main names for God. Two things I have heard that you, and now this is spoken before his friends there, before the, this group of people that are listening to his song. He says, you, O God, you, O strong one, are strong. You, O Lord, covenant God, the one who keeps his promises. You, O oh Lord, are loving. And this last phrase is, I have to apologize perhaps as I bring it up, but one thought, and I honestly say I'm probably wrong in this in my interpretation, but he says, surely you will reward each person according to what he has done. And there is, there is an, a wonderful confidence in the justice of God in that statement. God will reward each person according to what he has done, which is, could be a little scary. <laughs> you know, huh? It's a challenge to those who are listening. God will reward each person according to what he's done. Yeah, we better make a good choice here in what we will do in this circumstance. But I have to say, there's one thought that always comes to my mind when I read that last line, when I say it to myself. The only 
reward I hope for is not in what I have done and what Jesus has done. We're about halfway done, so just you're keeping walk here. Uh, at this point, you know, I can just imagine this group of people, you know, they're sitting listening to this song, I assume, saying, okay, David, nice song. Now let's get out of here. <laughs> we better get moving. We don't have much time. They're marching on Jerusalem. Nice song. Let's go. I'd like to take you just for a moment. Uh, um, you might call me Captain Obvious for this, but to a different throne room, a different palace, a different time. And imagine these words in Jesus' mouth. Standing before Pilate. Not saying anything or very little, but in the depth of his heart, knowing this psalm, because he is, in fact, the author, the spirit of Christ in, in David. These words have written a thousand years before, but they are Jesus' words. There's no psalm that you can read that you can't put in Jesus' mouth, whether it's him reciting the history that he was brought up with, or actually we call them some of the messianic psalms that are very specific and detailed about what he would live out. But I imagine this psalm here, in the time of his trial, betrayed by his closest friends, left alone, uh, lied about false witnesses, false accusers, and Jesus, in the depths of his soul, in the time of his trial, knowing that his soul could find rest in God alone. That his salvation, the Savior himself, that his salvation came from God. That God alone was his rock and his salvation, his fortress. That he would not be shaken. Knowing that around him were those who... Uh, took delight in lies, who, who des, who's desired his destruction, and yet finding rest and hope. You know, the book of Hebrews tells us that for the, the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. And, and looking at those Jesus did around those who were out for his life, at finding his confidence, his rest, his assurance in God. And I would, uh, this is something that's been precious to me as well as is seeing the Psalms as I read through them, uh, reading them from Jesus' perspective, what they meant to him personally in the times of his uh, earthly uh, life. And this one in particular, the, the assurance that he could experience in the writings of, of David so long before. But I'd like to take you back to the, uh, the word rest. My soul finds rest in God alone. And, and take you for a few minutes. I don't have this one up on the screen. I probably should have asked that they did that. But to the book of Hebrews, chapter 3 and 4. 
This idea of rest, as I said at the beginning, is, is a very important little Bible word. In chapter 3 of Hebrews, uh, we read, quoting from Psalm 95, the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert where your fathers tested and, and tried me and for 40 years saw what I did. That's why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared, God says, in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. The writer of Hebrews goes on to use that phrase over the next several uh, verses and paragraphs. He says, see to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart and turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it's called today. And then in chapter 4 of Hebrews, it's, the writer says this in verse 6, it still remains today, this day, here at Machias, that some will enter that rest. Those who formerly had the good news preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience, and therefore God said a certain day, calling it today. When a long time later he spoke through David, today if you hear his voice, in verse 9, we read this. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. little book maybe you've heard of, perhaps read, um, interesting, you may have familiar with the name Hudson Taylor, great missionary to China back in the 1800s, a little book called Hudson, Spe Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret. Basically, it is this, what he says in that book, God is working, but my hardest work is to rest in Christ. That is my greatest effort daily, is to learn to rest in Christ. I've gotten in trouble a number of times up at, Machia, or up at uh, Santa Fuca because, um, I, you know, there's old school, you know, the idea that, you know, Sunday is a day of rest and you can't mow your lawn or something like that. And I've kind of always rebelled against that, my own little rebellion. <laughs> uh, For a couple of reasons. I noticed that Jesus often went out of his way to offend people on the Sabbath. Um, and, and then you probably know this, that this, the keeping of the Sabbath is not something that's really enjoined in the New Testament. And then you come to this chapter in Hebrews where it says, Make every, there is a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Make every effort to enter that rest. And so I tell people, you know, when they say, well, you should, you should take a day off. You should take that day off. I say, well, Sunday is not my day off, you know. 
Um, and I do take a day off. For 25 years, I was a volunteer firefighter and EMT on the island, too, which was a, a fascinating thing. But I had this pager, you know, on my hip. And finally, after about 10 years of doing that, I said, I've got to... It was 24-7. And I decided on Tuesdays I would take the pager off and turn it off. And I told the guys, in, you know, the chief, I said, I'm going to do that. I need to take a day. And when I started doing that, I told, I told the people in the church, it's like taking 500 pounds off my hip for one day a week. This thing is so heavy. And then I realized, when it comes to the working out of my faith in, in life, um, Jesus has taken the burden of that. And so I tell people, no, my Sabbath is every day. Because Jesus fulfilled the Sabbath for me. And the Sabbath rest that he offers me is a day by day by day by day. Seven days a week I rest. I need to rest. I work to rest in the finished work of Jesus. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. I don't want to assume. Do you know that rest today? Are you satisfied with the work of Jesus? God is. Are you? Do you know the, the sigh of relief when you hear those words from the Gospels, Jesus from the cross saying, it is finished. It is done. Now, rest in what I have done. It is finished. Yes, there's work to do. Paul says, you know, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's God who works in you to will and do his good purpose. Resting in Christ doesn't absolve us from effort to, to serve, to, to bless, to give, to, to pray, to study. But we don't do it so that we can earn favor with God. We have already earned eternal righteousness, the very righteousness of God through the death of Christ, through faith in what he accomplished. It is finished, Jesus said. Do you know that, that peace with God that comes from saying, God, thank you? There's nothing I could have done to save myself, but thank you for what Jesus did, and that is my hope. That is my faith. That is my confidence. That is my rest. So just as Jesus said, to his disciples, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. You will find rest for your souls. Pray with me. God, thank you so much for, for Christ Jesus. Thank you for 
the inspiration uh, in, in David's life in the midst of a horrible time to, to sing his confidence in you and his peace in your uh, faithfulness. Thank you for that same rest, that same peace, that same assurance that you offer to each one of us here today, it, no matter what circumstance we may be faced. Thank you for um, the rest that you desire us to enter into. You want us to learn to daily make every effort to, to be at peace with the finished work of Christ and live out our lives, the challenges, the, the heartaches, the struggles that life it offers, but live with a confidence in what you've done and who you are and what you promise. Thank you again for the, the power and the truth of your word. I pray that it would have its perfect work in, in my life and in each of our lives here today. Just as scripture says today, I pray that we've heard your voice that we would come and, and, and know and experience and love that rest in the finished work of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.